Amen. All right, good morning, Stonebridge. Let's turn to Acts 5. I couldn't think of a better way to start this message than just to read some scripture. We're just going to go for it. Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And you're going to see really quickly why I just want to start with this scripture. I couldn't come up with anything better than this. Okay, this is, this is pretty crazy stuff. Acts 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, so that even... That, that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Did you, did you hear that scripture? I think what needs to happen today is everyone needs to go home and read verses 12 to 16. And just keep reading it until you're amazed by it. Because I, I don't think you caught it if you're not amazed right now, right? So it, said, it ends with everyone was healed. I don't know how that goes on except for the power of God, right? But everyone they're praying for to be healed is healed, okay? And as Peter's walking by people, his shadow would touch people and they would be healed, okay? I don't know. It's just there. I don't know how it happened, um, there, but there it was. And more than ever, it says, more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord. Now, you're like, okay, great, more than ever. Well, remember, we had thousands of people coming to know Christ in a day earlier. And now even more are coming to the Lord. So unprecedented move of God in the church right here. But, verse 17. Verse 17 starts with, a but. Now this happened at the end of chapter 4 as well. Remember everything was going great. We talked about that last week. Having great community. And then this incident of Ananias and Sapphira. See here's what we can know for sure. When things are going well in the life of the church. When things are going well in ministry. Challenges are about to come. You can be sure of that. Because Satan, the devil, hates it when God is at work absolutely hates it. So he's going to do whatever he can to come against that. And that's what happens. So we're about to see a bunch of challenges in the rest of this chapter. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you to notice this morning as we read this scripture. I want you to not notice the challenges as much as people's responses to the challenges. Right? You have two groups of people here. You have the Jewish leaders. And they respond to their challenges by troubling their own trouble so to speak. They actually make it worse for themselves with their responses. But the believers in Jesus, the Christians, respond to their trouble by redeeming their trouble. So let's look at it. Let's see how they do that. If you would stand with me, I want you to stand while we read the rest of this scripture. And the reason I want you to do that is because I really want to differentiate God's words from Matt's words this morning. Because I'll say some good things, hopefully. That's the hope. That's the prayer. But I know we're going, to be, we're going to be reading the absolute truth from God here. So let's read this together. Acts 5, starting in 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, 
They arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked, and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Verse 25, And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with all your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, uh, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Chapter 6. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among yourselves seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, the Prochorus, and and, uh, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, And Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. You can have a seat.
So let's start with the Jewish leaders. Okay, most of the time you read this text and you just start siding with the believers. But let's, let's look at it from a different lens. Let's look at it from the Jewish leaders. What were their challenges? Well, one of their challenges is that these believers were starting to take their spotlight. We saw that in, our, in verses 12 to 16. Okay, they're starting to steal their popularity. And they throw them in prison. And even when they throw them in prison, they escape. There's another challenge. Verses 23 and 24, they escape prison. And then by verse 28, they're saying, hey, you believers, you disobeyed us. We told you to shut up about Jesus. Pretty sure we said that a little bit ago. And we saw that in chapter 4. And now they tell them to do that again. And you're not doing it. If people who are insubordinate to them. So they have these challenges. But here's what's more important than their challenges. Their responses to their challenges. So I want to point out their spiritless, godless responses to these challenges. And I think a lot of us can relate to these. So the first one is jealousy. Look at 5 verse 17. It says they were filled with jealousy. Now, imagine for a second that you own a pizza shop. All right? Just a mom and shop pizza shop. Everyone loves coming to your pizza shop. They love the pizza. Business is thriving. It's going great. But then, one day... Who moves in across the street? Papa John's. All right? And God bless Papa John's, right? Best pizza on this planet. Okay? And the garlic sauce. I don't know how I'm going to do two messages on this and not eat Papa John's for lunch today. Um, But Papa John's pizza moves in across the street and they start taking your business. It's a lot more popular. It's cheaper. Even though you know your pizza is the best, right? But they're stealing your popularity. They're stealing your business. And that's essentially what's happening here. They're jealous of these believers. They're stealing their popularity. They're jealous of these people who now have it better off than them. Second spiritless response we see is confusion. Verse 24. They're like, how did this happen? How did they break free from prison? The doors are locked. There was men guarding the prison. And we're wondering, what is this going to come to? What next? Oh boy, what's going to happen? Here we go again. Will these challenges ever end? They're confused. They're perplexed. And that leads to fear in verse 26. And here in this case, they're specifically afraid of people. People are controlling their actions, or in this case, their inaction, right? They decided not to take them by force because they were afraid of the people. They were controlled of fear of what could be instead of what they thought the correct response was. See, jealousy and confusion turns into fear. But anyone who's felt jealousy and confusion when they face challenges in their life and started to fear knows that fear doesn't stay there very long. When you suppress those things and that turns into fear, eventually it erupts and turns into rage. Anybody here? Anyone been there? I've been there, right? And that's what happens. Verse 33, rage, anger. And they're not just angry. They're, they're angry to the point that they want to kill these believers. They're ready to go. Let's kill them. Can't you just see them? They're at the door. They got the clubs and whatever they else, whatever else they used to kill people back then. Certainly not guns. But they're, they, they're going... And then this, this dude steps up, Gamaliel. And he's the voice of 
skepticism. And isn't that where we go next? He's, Gamaliel's like, hey, you know what? This probably isn't legit. Don't worry about it. Okay, it's like, it's like high schoolers getting ready to fight. You got this really big dude, and he's, he's about to beat up this little shrimp of a boy, right? And, and it's like, hold me back, you know, and this Gamaliel's like the guy holding him back going, dude, he's not worth it. Don't worry about it, right? That's what's happening here. Gamaliel's like, okay, you guys, chill out. This isn't real. This isn't God at work. But it's incredibly ironic. Look at verse 39. Look at the irony here. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. Talk about God using an unbeliever to speak truth, right? They are opposing God. This is legit. But we see this response of skepticism. And skepticism is a form of living in denial. Okay, okay, don't get your unease in a bunch. This isn't God anyway. There probably isn't even a God out there. And so they're moving from fight, literally, to flight. And isn't that what we do? This isn't happening. I'm not actually going through a hard time right now. I want to share with you two case studies from a book I've read recently called Suffering by Paul David Tripp. And I would highly recommend it. It's a short read, quick read, but you won't want to read it quickly. It's one of those books. But there was two case studies. One was John. John met a gal named Jeannie at a company picnic. And it seemed too good to be true. Like, wow, how, how is this working out? She's actually into me. This is great. And they loved Jesus, and they were following Jesus together. Eventually, they got married, and they had two kids, and they were really enjoying life. They were really enjoying um, just following Jesus together and leading their family towards Jesus. But then one day, Jeannie got cancer. And within six months, Jeannie passed away. And so I want to share with you John's response to this challenge. John could not have imagined a greater horror He was paralyzed with grief. He would sit in the living room waiting to hear Jeannie's voice in the kitchen or expect to walk into the bedroom and see her standing in front of her closet trying to decide what to wear. Little details of her life were all around him, but she wasn't there. It seemed impossible. A horribly cruel joke. The love of family and church got John through those days before the funeral and on that dark day of Jeannie's burial, but then everyone went back to their normal lives. And John was left to himself with two teenagers. The more John thought about how wonderful but short their life together had been, the more depressed and angry he got. Why give me this beautiful thing and then take it away for no reason, he thought. Why toy with my happiness? What did I do to deserve this punishment? What in the world am I supposed to do now? What condition am I in to take care of my kids? Why do this to them? He couldn't seem to turn off the questions. And each unanswered question just made him angrier. The truths that John once rested in, he now hated. One night, in a fit of angry despair, John grabbed the Bible by his bedside and with all his might hurled it against the wall. That Bible sat crumbled on the floor for weeks. 
a symbol of what was happening in John's heart. John isolated himself from his friends and gave up on most of his activities. He warmed prepared meals for his kids, but he ate alone and spent most of his evenings in his room watching TV. The first DUI was a warning sign, but John paid little attention. However, his boss paid attention and told John he needed to get help, but the anger and the alcohol blinded John from seeing himself with accuracy. He told himself that what he really needed was to have the clock roll back three years and he'd be okay. Finally, after losing his job and his children, John was forced to get counseling. It was then that the long process of change began to take place. See, John troubled his own trouble in all sorts of ways. Frida, on the other hand, Frida was a single gal in her 30s, and she was content. She was enjoying life. Uh, She was content with her job. She was content with her uh, church environment. She was in a small group, um, loved walking with Jesus. But one day at work as well, she met a guy named Zeke, and they really hit it off, and they started dating. And um, while they were dating, Zeke's job actually ended up taking him international for at least three years. And Zeke, right before he left, came to Frida and said, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do a long-distance relationship. We're done. And it devastated her. And here's how she responded. Frida knew she had to run to God. She knew she couldn't handle on her own what she was facing and feeling. She knew the lies were too prevalent, the temptations too seductive. She knew There were traps laid in her path every day, traps of doubt, fear, anger, and despair. But she also knew deep in her broken heart that she was not alone. So she decided she would run to her Redeemer. She would run to the comforts of His presence, His power, His promises, and His grace. She remembered that God welcomes the heavy and brokenhearted to come to Him. So Frida dove into the Word of God like she had never before. She ran to her small group, told them her story, and confessed that she needed help. She met with her pastor for guidance and comfort. She turned on Christian music the minute she got up to fight the darkness of her heart that greeted her each morning. She fought the impulse to run from God and His people. She determined that rather than accusing God, she would trust Him. She consumed anything and everything that would point her to the blessing of knowing God and being the object of His love and grace. And she did all these, as she did all these things, she became more and more convinced that Zeke could take his love from her, but he could not take life from her. See, Frida redeemed her trouble. And I just have to throw out a disclaimer here. I'm not saying that John and Frida's suffering was the same. I understand that losing someone is is very significant versus someone breaking up with you. But to them, it had very similar effects on them emotionally. There's no denying that. And so think about it like this. Just as people have different thresholds for pain, and I don't have a very high threshold, um, But just like people have different thresholds for physical pain, people have different thresholds for emotional pain, for suffering as well. So what's difficult to you might not be as difficult to somebody else. So don't get caught up in comparing these types of suffering. There were similar effects on them. And the the thing is, John troubled his own trouble and ran away from God. Frida 
redeemed her trouble by running to God. And that's exactly what the believers do. In contrast to these Jewish leaders, this is what the believers do. So here's, here's the challenges these believers face. Okay? The Jewish leaders throw the, threw them in prison, we saw in 518. A few verses later, 527 to 28, the Jewish leaders are questioning them. And then by verse 40, they beat them and told them to be quiet about Jesus. And they're not just beaten, they're flogged. Stay tuned in a minute, we'll talk more about flogging. Yay, everyone's excited. Um, believers needed, uh, sorry, the believers' needs were being neglected, we saw in chapter 6, verse 1. The widows weren't being taken care of properly by the leaders. They had all these challenges, but more important than their challenges was their response to their challenges. And they responded with spirit-filled responses to redeem their trouble. So we see in verse 26 and 27, they were submissive to authority. It says they weren't taken by force. That means they had to have willingly submitted and gone with them. They were submitting to God's authority and God's plan through these Jewish leaders. They were being like Jesus when he was arrested. And these, these guys, these are the same guys where one of them stood up and cut off the ear of a guard when they went to arrest Jesus. Same guys, not that much time has passed. What has happened is they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. So now they respond by submitting to what God has for them. Not my will, but yours be done. They can finally say that like Jesus did with confidence. Second response they have is they're obedient to God in verse 29. They're saying no matter what you or anyone else says, we're obeying God. No matter what happens to us, we're obeying God. And in verse 31, they're saying, you know what? He is our leader. Jesus leads us down new paths with challenges along the way. We're going to obey him even when it's difficult because he is our leader. I'm not my leader. My own comfort is not my leader. Other people are not my leaders. Jesus is my leader. Jesus actually promised me that it was going to be difficult. Following Jesus is a lot more like sitting, sorry, it's way less like sitting in a parking lot. And it's way more like driving down a country road that you've never been down before with lots of turns and twists. But you know for sure where the end is going to be. So they knew, even though these challenges were coming on them, he is our leader and he's going to lead us to home, to heaven. And it's going to be great. But we don't know what it's going to be like, and we know there's going to be challenges along the way. They also say, you know what? He's not just our leader. He's our Savior. Whatever challenges we face, He's going to save us. Nothing can take away our eternal salvation. Next response is they witness, verse 30 to 32. They're not just obedient to God amidst their challenges. They use this as an opportunity They use their challenge as an opportunity to talk about Jesus with their own persecutors. God, give me that response when people are persecuting me that I would would go and want to talk to them about Jesus and love on them. Pray for those who persecute me. So when you're going through a challenge, when when your car breaks down on the side of the road, or you're in the hospital, And you weren't expecting to be in the hospital, which is most of the time, right? When you're in those circumstances that you didn't expect, you're like, what is going on? Instead of wallowing in, God, what's happening to me? Look around you. And who has God dropped into your life at that that moment? 
that you wouldn't have run into otherwise, that you could talk to about Jesus, that you could love on like Jesus would. Here's the thing. I know that anybody who's here this morning or who's listening to this, I know that God has dropped you in my life this morning. So I don't want to pass up this opportunity to, sh- to point out what's happening in these verses. Verse 30 to 32, here's essentially what it says. Jesus lived the life we should have because we're messed up. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead. He wants to be your savior and he wants to be your leader. He wants to lead you and save you as you walk through life's challenges. The way that that can happen is by repenting, it says here. Repent, confess, and turn away from sin and self and turn to Jesus. And then it says you'll receive the Holy Spirit, God Himself living inside of you, the Holy Spirit. You're no longer alone as you go through challenges if you believe in Jesus or if you have belief in Jesus. You're no longer purposeless. You have a, your, your challenges have a purpose. Even if you can't see it, if you don't, even if you don't know it until you get to heaven, they all have a purpose for His glory and for your good. Another response they have is they rejoiced. Verse 41, they authentically found joy in their challenges. Now remember what their challenge was. You're like, okay, cool, they found joy, whatever. no. They found joy after they were flogged. Okay? Here's the moment you were waiting for. We're going to talk about flogging. Okay? It's crazy stuff. They, they take a whip. Usually it, it had three strands on it of leather. And they would lay you out. And they would whip you twice in the back, once in the stomach. And they could do it up to 39 times. We don't know how many they did here, but that was, that was common. It was this torture was known to kill people sometimes. And they rejoiced. They found joy. How did they find joy? How would you find joy in Jesus amidst flogging? How would you find joy in Jesus amidst a loved one passing away? Here's how. Jesus promised them and Jesus promises us that this world is going to be full of trouble. He promised that it would be hard. So when we go through challenges and when they went through challenges, they went, oh yeah, Jesus said this was going to happen. I must be doing the right thing. I must be following Jesus because he promised this would happen. If challenges aren't happening in your life, then you need to start worrying. If you're going through life and there's never anything going on, no challenges in your way. Man, you might need to look in the mirror, the mirror of God's word and say, am I following Jesus right? But they were, and so they were assured of what was happening. So listen up. I want you to, if, if you've been tuning me out, that's cool, but I want you to listen to this right now. I think the American church needs, needs to hear this more than ever. You need to expect challenges in your life as you follow Jesus. You need to expect them. You need to expect challenges that had nothing to do with your own sinfulness and messed upness. Just expect it. And then find joy in the assurance that you're walking in the right direction because Jesus promised hardship, but he also promised joy amidst the hardship. They didn't have joy by going, yay, we're happy. No, they had joy because they deepened their souls. 
we're assured that Jesus is with me and we're doing the right thing right here. Another response, they were emboldened. Verse 42. See, their joy didn't just stay contained. They shared that joy with other people. They, they witnessed about Jesus with other people. I think most of us would be tempted in that moment to go, you know what, this got me flogged. I will just shut up about Jesus right now. But instead, they're coming back full force, even stronger. And the last way that they respond to their challenges, and I'm not going to go deep into this, but in chapter 6, leadership multiplication. They have this difficulty. They, they can't, the, some widows are being neglected. And so they have, a, they have the opportunity now. They redeem this opportunity by not going, oh man, I wish we could create more time in our day. No, they raise up more leaders. They make disciples. I think Jesus said something about that. So how did these believers do it? How did they respond in these ways? Well, I think the qualities of these men, of of Stephen and the gang, of these names that I struggled to read in chapter 6, I think their qualities, I think that's how they responded to these challenges. It says in verse 3, 6 verse 3, they were full of the Spirit. We're going to talk all about that next week. Joey's going to cover that. But essentially, they're being filled with the Spirit. You're just tapping into the power that you already have if you believe in Jesus. Okay? But they were full of wisdom and they were full of faith, it says in verse 3 and verse 5. So sure, here's what I'm sure of. I'm positive that these believers, even though it didn't say it in here, I'm positive that they had some jealousy going on at some point. Probably maybe while they're sitting in jail. Why can't we have it easy like them? I'm positive they were confused. God, why did this happen to me? I'm positive they had some fear going on. How will I get through this? What next, God? I'm positive they had some rage. How could you do this to me, God? We're obeying you. I'm positive that they had some skepticism. God, if you do exist, you forgot about me. But here's what I also know is true. That they wisely countered those things with faith. With trusting in God's promises and in His power. They remembered Jesus' words to them. They probably remembered these in particular. In Mark 13, 9, Jesus said this, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. They remembered that. Jesus promised us that this very thing would happen. That we would get beaten in synagogues. We're getting beaten in the synagogue. But now we also need to do what Jesus says. That's going to happen so you can bear witness about me. So here they are. Living it out. And they had faith. They countered those those gut responses because we're sinful and we just want to respond in our flesh. But instead, you know, we tr- they said, no, we're going to trust you, God. You promised us challenges. You promised us persecution. But you also promised us that all, someday all of our wrongs will be made right. You promised us the hope of eternity with Jesus in heaven. See, they're redeeming their trouble rather than troubling their trouble. So, I want to ask you, 
What challenges are you facing right now? Maybe your challenges are like this. Maybe you have some deep marital problems. Maybe you have some horribly rebellious kids. Maybe you have a death of a loved one. Maybe you're going through chronic pain or know someone else who's going through chronic pain and it's affecting you greatly. Or maybe it's miscommunication with your spouse. Maybe you have a strong-willed kid. Maybe there's sickness going around and your whole family has it. Maybe you're having some car problems. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you're feeling really lonely and just want some more friends. Maybe your challenges are really mundane, but regardless, whether, whether your challenges are, are like theirs here where it's persecution and it's really heavy and really difficult or it's more just everyday types of challenges and suffering, the main question that we need to ask ourselves today and every day that we face challenges is this. How am I responding to my suffering? How am I responding to my trouble? Am I redeeming my trouble by trusting in God? Or am I troubling my own trouble by just letting my feelings take me down whatever road they want to? Because here's what I know is true. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you never leave us or forsake us. So I, I pray right now for those in here this morning who are really struggling, who are going through some really, really difficult challenges and suffering. God, I pray that you would just give them strength by your Holy Spirit to be able to redeem that suffering. That just as we read about Frida, that even though she has to wake up and turn on the radio to fight those dark feelings, that they would do that. Give us the fight. Give us the will to fight. Maybe some of us are here this morning and we've just lost the will to fight, to trust you, God, to believe you. So give us the faith to even have faith. Give us the trust to have trust in you, God. I pray that whatever we face, whatever comes our way today, tomorrow, the rest of our life, that we would choose to find joy in the midst of that sorrow because you have overcome the grave, Jesus. Thank you for that. Amen.